Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and happy Labor Day this Monday of the 2020 year as we reflect back on the great summer we just had and we look forward to the fall. We've got a big few weeks coming up, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 this week. We can never, we must never forget the fallen from that day. And of course, uh, the beginning of election season, there's an election in Virginia this year that's very consequential, the recall election. Uh, with Gavin Newsom in California is keep, worth keeping an eye on. All of these things are in motion. And when we come out of this holiday, uh, we've got a lot to grapple with, a lot to work on, a lot to consider. Uh, but before we do, I, I, I thought we'd just do something special for today. I was privileged last Thursday night to host a national TV special, a conversation about critical race theory in America's school system. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson joined me. Congressman Dan Bishop uh, uh, joined me. Two amazing parents, uh, one in Rhode Island, one in Indiana, who are on the front lines of this fight in addressing it with their school district, their school administrators, their principals. They're joining me. They have some pretty amazing tales of what it was like to be a, um, a parent and find out what your children was learning that you didn't want them to be taught because it it seems to be more about indoctrination than information and education. So there on here, we've got Jessica Anderson, my good friend from Heritage Action for America. She's on here. It is a really, really great conversation we had. And so today, I thought for Labor Day to give you some food for thought since the kids are going back to school, the grandkids, whoever they are, that we would play that show for you in an audio format. It is some really fascinating information. I hope you enjoy it. A special edition of John Solomon Reports this holiday, this Labor Day, coming up right after the commercial break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply.
Now tonight, we have a star-studded cast joining us to help us learn what is going on at the federal, state, and local level to address the concerns about critical race theory. And we start off here in Washington with Congressman Dan Bishop of the great state of North Carolina. Congressman Bishop, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, it's an honor to have you on, sir. You've been right smack dab in the middle of one of the biggest CRT fights yet in Washington, pressing legislations to things like the National Defense Authorization Act to ban critical race theory in our military and across our government. Tell us what's been started and how your colleagues in Congress have been reacting so far. So John, I think we have what's best described as a great case of building momentum. And it's very encouraging to me in so many ways. Early in the year, there were some who didn't think Republicans should take up the issue of critical race theory, but I knew it was at the heart of what we need to take up. It was, it's imperative. It is, this is a, a dangerous, poisonous, uh, racist ideology that has no place in, uh, in any institution in the United States, certainly not the federal government. So as uh, some were advising to stay away from it, we ran to the issue following the lead of people like Chris Rufo and James Lindsay and others, we got together with Russ Vogt, who had been President Trump's Director of Office of Management and Budget and had been responsible for guiding President Trump's executive order through on the issue of critical race theory in the federal government. And we introduced, my office introduced two bills, and we've got well over uh, 60 or 70 Republican co-sponsors at this point in time. One bill was a companion to Senator Tom Cotton's bill in the Senate that separates the subject matter of critical race theory in the military and absolutely bans it. And then we also filed a bill that would codify President Trump's executive order, which, of course, Biden withdrew, right. uh, which would ban the use of critical race theory uh, in the conduct of the operations and activities of agencies of the federal government. And also, going beyond that, would prohibit the use of federal funds to sponsor or support or advance the cause of critical race theory anywhere in any of the uh, activities or fund, uh, programs that the federal government funds. Wow, those are important moments. And I know a lot of people are talking about it. Now, I've seen you tweet and talk about how you wish the military had spent a little more time planning for the Afghan war exit, maybe a little less time on social engineering. Do you think there's a growing concern in Congress that the military has had its focus on things other than fighting and winning wars? You know, John, I think uh, there is a general proposition here, and then I'm going to focus on the military. I think every institution that is being infused with critical race theory, it, it does damage in all kinds of ways, not only in the, in the sort of rotting effect, the, the caustic uh, undermining of relationships that, that critical race theory itself promotes, but it's a distraction. And you see this particularly, I think, in the, in the, and it's not just a one-off or, or or um, kind of sarcastic comment, right? the United States military uh, is responsible to defend this country. That's its mission. It requires um, an esprit de corps, uh, uh, force cohesiveness. And the notion that, that, you know, the senior members that General Milley sits in the congressional hearing and kind of contemptuously says to members of Congress that he's interested in understanding white rage that, that should, frankly, he should be fired for that kind of notion. That is abhorrent uh, in the United States government generally. And you look at what happened just now in Afghanistan, and you can see every indication that our military leadership 
And uh, even civilian leadership and President Biden are distracted from the mission of the United States military. Yeah, such an important thing to be keeping an eye on. Now, uh, you've got this legislation started, both in the Senate and the House. Where do we go next from here? How do you get CRT out of our military and the government for good? I think the answer, John, is that we've got to keep pressing on every front. And uh, one, you know, I, I don't have any illusions. Uh, we're in the minority in the United States House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi is not going to call my bill up and ram it through on the floor like she does her $3.5 trillion budget resolution. Right. Uh, and so I don't think the path forward is going to be simple or quick. But what I am encouraged about is that our efforts, well, the efforts on CRT are by no means limited to Washington. So just last evening, the North Carolina General Assembly, the House, after right. the Senate had passed has uh, passed legislation. Many states have done so. Uh, and, and it's a very well-balanced and finely tuned piece of legislation, which gets right at some of the things. You know, you hear people say, uh, and on, uh, critics would say, well, first of all, uh, critical race theory is not a thing or it's not being taught in, in schools or not being practiced or promoted in schools. And then they gave that up, and, and then they'd say, well, yeah, but you don't want to teach uh, accurate history and the flaws of American uh, the treatment of people on racial grounds. That's also false. And that bill, I'm proud to say, does a fantastic job of articulating that and, and narrowing, being very precise about what, this, what, the, what the horrendous and abominable, uh, the, the uh, you know, counterproductive, dangerous uh, ideology is that is that critical race theory as distinct from teaching history. So that bill came forward. But you know what I what most uh, thrills me, John, is to see moms and dads in school board meetings across yeah. this country hammering officials that have, have found their way to getting all this their institutions off track in the same way General Milley's gotten the military off track. It's going to take a persistent effort in which we press on all fronts. And uh, I'm just pleased to see, I, I think it's a, it's in a, in a universe or in a, in a political picture right now in America in which people worry about a lot of things. This is a bright spot. We're moving the needle on this uh, horrible uh, critical race theory. Yeah, such a good point. We got about a minute and a half left. And I want to ask, we've got a big election coming up next year that's going to decide who's in control of Congress for the next two years. And you've got this incredible momentum. You've got parents at the grassroots level now running for school board, taking ownership of their own local politics. And you've got the nation as a whole trending towards the Republican Party, the generic ballot, two to four points in favor of Republicans for the first time in several years. How will this issue of critical race theory play out in next year's election? Well, I think it's part of the momentum that we need, John. I I'm a member of Congress fairly new member of Congress. I'm a person who believes there are a lot of times people look at the Republican Party and what we're doing in Congress and they feel like we're almost sleepwalking, like we're not. We have no idea what the people uh, out there in the in the public are thinking and that we're not bold enough to make su substantial change in the right direction. Well, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's in the past. Uh, we need to be uh, about making the change that an ultra-majority, silent ultra-majority sometimes, frustrated ultra-majority of, of Americans want made. And this is the way you, you, you build momentum is you show commitment. It requires a little bit of courage, and you demonstrate some courage, and people will follow. And so that's, that's as, as far as I'm concerned, it's going to be on this issue. I'm never backing up on this, and I'm not going to uh, uh, sit, sit back and be passive 
and sleepwalk through on a whole host of issues that we need to change in this country. Yeah, that's it. Well, from great courage comes great action. We know that in our great country, our country's great history. Congressman, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciated it. Thank you, John. And let me say how great an example you are. God bless. Thank you. God bless you too, sir. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, Jessica Anderson from Heritage Action will be joining us for a survey of our flyover country. What's going on in the real states? You won't want to miss it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to our Just the News Real America Voice special on the efforts to fight critical race theory in America's schools. Now, there's enormous concern in Washington about the extremist curricula seeping into our schools, but the most impactful efforts so far have mostly occurred at the state and local grassroots level. That's where legislation, executive orders, and school board protests have already brought about change. Joining us now is Jessica Anderson, Executive Director for Heritage Action for America, the sponsor for our show, to tell us how grassroots organizing is making a difference. Jessica, welcome to tonight's show. Hi, John, thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor to have you. There's, there seems to have been three key successes in the fight against CRT, state legislatures, gubernatorial executive orders, and school board activism. And I wanna tackle all three. Let's start with the first battlefield, legislatures. What's been going on in state houses across the country, Jessica? Well, it's been absolutely incredible to see so many state legislators take this issue really by the horns and be very aggressive in their legislative session to introduce bills, or in a lot of cases, like over nine states, not only introduce them, but then send them all the way to the governor for the governor to then sign. And these bills at the state level look specifically at critical race theory. They reject it in their school boards, reject it in the curriculum at the state level. And it, and it allows and empowers the parents who have been standing up against CRT to, to feel heard. And so you have someone like Governor DeSantis, who's been incredibly um, forward looking in this, that he did a flat out ban in the state of Florida against CRT. And so I think all of these governors, these state legislators that have passed these bills should be commended. And it's one critical part of this larger effort to take this down. Yeah, and some of those governors have actually used executive orders when there hasn't yet been legislation. Sometimes the legislatures aren't in session. And so the governors have used that executive power as well. How is that uh, being viewed in the, in the everyday America, you know, where parents are worried about what their children are about to be taught as they go back to school this fall? Well, parents have really been the ones, I think, that have led this entire effort because they're the ones that are showing up at school board meetings, they're showing up at parent-teacher conferences to talk out against this. And so 
when that sort of grassroots element um, rises up from the bottom up and actually finds its way to a governor's ear or the governor's staff and they issue an executive order, you know then that the grassroots is working and that that leadership in the state level is in tune with what the voters and the citizens of that state want to see. So for the most part, what, I, what I'm hearing is that people welcome governors that are doing the executive orders if they don't have that partnership with the state legislature. But the more we can drive this effort towards a legislative fix and actually have this be codified in law, the better off we're going to be in the long term to root out critical race theory from our schools, from our American institutions. And Heritage Action, we have some model legislation available to state legislators all across the country. We have some polling and focus groups results, all of which people are able to take a look at apply to their state and get this passed. And especially as we go into January with new legislative sessions, I think this is going to be a top priority for legislators. Yeah, and it's important yeah. to remember that it was Heritage Action's early roadmap of legislation for election integrity reform that many states modeled their legislation on early this year. So check out that uh, the new legislation ideas. They're, they're very important, folks. All right, now, we, we, if the governors get the ball rolling and the legislatures make it permanent through the law, the third front seems to be the school board, where parents are showing up in droves at meetings, running for uh, school board in ways that we haven't seen, having recalls launched. Tell us a little bit more about what the grassroots are doing at the school board level and what impact that might have long term. Well, all the action around combating critical race theory is really at the school board level. And you have seen more and more parents, parents that have never even been involved in political issues before, they've realized what's being taught to their children. They don't like it. They want to make sure that they have a seat at the table. And that, so they're going to the mic. They're showing up at these school board meetings. They're driving recalls like what we saw in Wisconsin and Arizona and Georgia and Florida. They're pushing back against these against these um, very antagonistic and divisive school board mantras that would keep our children locked into this racist point of view through critical race theory. And so parents like what we saw in Loudoun County, we just did this huge event in Delaware last week. There were five over 500 incredibly frustrated parents that are standing up and saying enough is enough. You will not continue to indoctrinate my child and they're demanding a change. And what's been really cool to see, John, is that not only is this movement bringing out new parents into the fight, but they're actually finding partners with teachers that are actually willing themselves to lay their job on the line and stand up against critical race theory. We even saw this happen this last week where a teacher in Virginia went in and actually resigned because she was so upset right. of how critical race theory was being taught. And though, so this is, this is new for the conservative movement. Um, I'm excited by it. I'm, I'm, uh, energized by it because it's a very real and it's a permanent way that we can fight back against critical race theory taking its root in our schools. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the media coverage has sort of uh, set this up to look like it's a right versus left debate or a black versus white debate. But in fact, there's very large support or I should say opposition to critical race theory and other curricula like it on all parts of the agenda. Right? it isn't really a political issue because it cuts across many different divides. How is that uh, altering the dynamic a little bit? Well, you're exactly right. This is not just an issue between white and black. This is not an issue between those that are in public school versus private school, because critical race theory, as it's best defined and understood, it is a worldview. It is a lens by which everything in the country is pitted against two races. And that 
intercedes and, and intercepts not only schools, but other American institutions. It's in the military, as we've seen the last few weeks, and it's in federal agencies. And so because everyone is is recognizing this and standing up and standing back against this, you're actually seeing the inflection point to be larger than just one group of people in the country because they're trying to fight it at all of these different levels, whether it's schools, military, federal agencies, or our American institutions in general. Yeah, such a great point. Now, you guys recently launched a new website, SaveOurSchools.com. How can parents who are worried about what's being taught to their children uh, use that site and other things to monitor lessons and take action to change the curriculum their students are facing? Absolutely. So SaveOurSchools.com is a one-stop shop for anyone that is interested in fighting back against critical race theory. Whether you want instructions on how to submit a FOIA request to get those emails and behind the scenes information that may have been happening in a school board meeting or with a superintendent, we'll walk you through how to do a FOIA request. If you're interested in working with your state legislature to introduce new legislation in your state's capital in January when the new sessions start, we've got up to the up to date model legislation people can use. If you want the latest polling and focus group information about how to talk about these issues, whether you're in a community in a suburban area or you're in an African-American community, wherever you are, this is an issue to talk about because it, it permeates all aspects of American society. So you can text CRT to 51776 or check us out online at saveourschools.com. We also have the list of all the federal bills that are moving through Congress that touch on all of these different issues of where CRT is involved in our country um, and how you can support those bills. Hopefully we're gonna see one move through the NDAA markup just this week in the House of Congress. Uh, that's one we're gonna have to be watching, Jessica. Hey, thanks for the great report on what's going on in the grassroots trenches of America. Very exciting time. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, my pleasure. Folks, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and when we come back, we'll be joined by Jonathan Butcher, a, naturally, a nationally renowned expert on education and free speech and a fellow at both the Goldwater Institute and the Heritage Foundation, right after these messages. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Joining me now is Jonathan Butcher. He is a nationally renowned expert on curriculum in free speech in the education system, a senior fellow at the Goldwater Institute, a fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's currently writing a book on critical race theory in America. Jonathan, great to have you on the show. Great to be with you. Uh, you know, I'd like to wind back. We've been having a fun discussion today. I want to wind back and just help people understand what is critical race theory? Where did it get its origins? 
That's a great question. Critical race theory in indisputably has Marxist roots. It came from the uh, study of critical legal theory, which was popular in law schools and originated in really about the 1970s. And then on top of that or before that came critical theory, which originated in Germany in, in between the two world wars. Critical theory was a new perspective on Marxism. It was meant to decide what Marxists should do now uh, after uh, the success of uh, revolutionaries in uh, what became the Soviet Union, the failure of the same type of revolution in Germany. And it was coupled with this idea of a Freudian postmodernism. And that's a fancy way of saying that they took Marxist ideas and met it with this concept that there is no authentic truth, that there is no objective reality on which we can base the decisions we make for the future. So critical race theory, what we have today, originated in the late 1980s and built on top of all of these things that I just described uh, for you there. So you have Marxist elements, clear Marxist roots, you have an attack on this concept of authentic truth um, mixed all together with the idea that everything in life, business, government, must be seen through the lens of racial identities. Wow. And uh, it almost feels like a throwback, right? An era when we used to consider race before anything else. Now, uh, it starts in the intelligentsia. It starts in this Marxist philosophical word. How does it morph and eventually get into the K through 12 education system? So after the critical theorists, the original critical theorists from the 1920s, they were chased out of Germany by the Nazis, and they came to Columbia University in, uh, near the end of the 1930s. From there, they influenced uh, generations of professors and students in uh, law schools in particular, and that's how we arrived at critical legal theory. With critical legal theory, they argued that American law is systemically oppressive. So our rule of law is meant to be, is designed to oppress people. Then from there, in the late 1980s, you have individuals like Richard Delgado and Derek Bell, Patricia uh, Williams, Angela Harris, and others who said that critical legal theory didn't go far enough. It's not just about law. It's also about culture. It's also about describing all of the systems in American life as systems that are meant to oppress uh, ethnic minorities. And so it arrived in schools as the ideas from critical race theory began to be used in colleges of education. And so you have um, a, a wide range of uh, writings in colleges of ed, so where teachers are trained that deals with oppression and that talks about critical race theory as the way to describe society in the United States in the 1990s and going into the 2000s. So as you have legal scholars who then say it's not just enough to change law schools, they move into colleges of education in particular, and they begin to change what teachers are then imparting to students. Wow, remarkable. How uh, important a moment was the 1619 Project in catapulting critical race theory into a more popular discussion, into school boards, into school administrators' uh, uh, back doors? Critical race theory was already in schools by the time the 1619 Project arrived. I think the 1619 Project is more a sign of the times. 
Uh, it is evidence that uh, those in the mainstream media are ready to use, frankly, racially discriminatory ideas to describe American history and say that the only way that we can define America's past is through the lens of slavery and racial oppression. And that is what the 1619 Project aims to do. In fact, their, their byline, I mean, one of the subtitles of, of the lead essay is that they want to reframe a discussion of America's past making uh, racism and slavery central to that discussion. Yeah. And look, no one denies, okay, that there were times in America's past where we did not live up to our promise of freedom and opportunity to all, right? Slavery is a stain on uh, America's past. The Jim Crow era is something that um, uh, that uh, Americans today should say, um, should condemn and should say should never have been a part um, of our lives. Um, but much has changed in the last 60 years. To say that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is not valuable or to say that the civil rights movement um, frankly um, didn't do enough to change uh, perspectives, it, it it casts a pall on those who sacrificed for the civil rights era and in the civil rights movement, right? Those who went to prison, excuse me, went to prison to protest uh, for uh, equality under the law. Yeah, such a great, uh, great point to make that uh, this theory essentially doesn't pay credit to all the gains that the civil rights leaders in the 1950s and 60s made for this country. Uh, I want to pivot for a second to the question, because I hear this a lot from parents and now some teachers who are speaking up, that the goal of the education system is to teach children how to think and that critical race theory is basically an effort to tell children what to think. As an academic, what do you see in that debate? Is this an evolution of education from uh, you know, giving people the learning skills to giving people indoctrination? So there's always been tension over curriculum in public schools. Public schools have this unique place where they're situated in between public policy and culture. It's where sort of uh, government and your everyday life meets. You have schools that are funded with tax dollars, we all pay for them, um, and you have this training, this um, uh, effort to develop students into be participating members of civil society later. And so there's always been this tension in this debate. What critical race theory has ushered in in the last 30 years in particular is a reconsideration of racial discrimination and the use of racial discrimination, both in instruction and in everyday life. And I don't think there's anything that uh, that recognizes this more or is symbolic of this more than the writings of Ibram Kendi, who now you know, famously in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, said, the only way to prevent future discrimination is with present discrimination. And so that's where we see these K-12 activities of mandatory affinity groups, where students and teachers are separated according to skin color for different school projects, or where you have whiteness studies or white privilege lessons, where students are instructed that because of the color of their skin, they are either uh, privileged or automatically advantaged, or will have some uh, irrefutable um, benefit in life. And conversely, those that have a different color of their skin uh, will always be oppressed or will always have to fight against something in society in order to be successful. That, so those sorts of discriminatory ideas, that is what critical race theory is bringing into classrooms today. 
Wow. And you can understand why there's such a dialogue and debate about it. Uh, we got about a, a little over a minute left. What is the future of this debate? Where does this get settled? Is it at the school board level? Is it at Congress? Is it at the state level? How will this play out and how will America ultimately resolve whether CRT stays or leaves our schools? Well, I think there are three places where this uh, battle is ongoing right now. So the first is in the courtroom. There are several lawsuits where teachers and in some cases parents have said that their child or that in their workplace, they were asked to affirm or profess or believe a racially discriminatory idea. And they're charging that the use and application of critical race theory in the classroom is causing as has forced them or tried to force them to be racially prejudiced. So there are ongoing court cases about that now. Second is at the school board level, like you mentioned. Parents are standing up and speaking out and saying that what their children are being asked to do, what they are asked to apply in the classroom are ideas that are racially biased and they want nothing of it. And so we're going to see more and more of this in school boards around the country as school boards learn to recognize these discriminatory elements of critical race theory. And then there is the federal government. The Biden administration has expressed support for critical ideas. Right. And so we're going to see parents and taxpayers need to push back, especially at the state level, against the use of discrimination in classrooms. Wow, from Washington to the school boards. What an amazing uh, moment in American history. Jonathan, thank you so much for giving us a good lesson on that. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, two parents, who are right on the front lines of battling critical race theory in their own school systems before their own school boards. Right after this commercial break. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back to our Just the News, Real America's Voice special, Freeing Classrooms from Ideology, the Fight Against Critical Race Theory. Now, we've heard a lot of what's happening in Washington, what's happening in the states, and now we're going to hear from parents who are taking on critical race theory at the local school level. Joining us now are Nicole Solis, a Rhode Island mom, who is being sued by the nation's largest teachers union because she tried to find out what her child was learning at school. And Alvin Liu, a parent who moved his family from California to the Midwest in hopes of escaping critical race theory, only to find it was in Indiana, too. Uh, both of you, I really want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Nicole, let me start with you. Your efforts have captured uh, the eyes of the nation. You know, uh, you tried to just find out what your child was learning at school and all of a sudden you find yourself being sued for that. Tell us what drove your concerns about what was being taught at school and why the National Education Association local affiliates tried to sue you. Well, a year or two ago, my school pledged allegiance to Black Lives Matter they used all the code words like ridding the school of systemic inequities. They said the school was systemically racist. And when I enrolled my daughter in kindergarten, I decided to see if they really followed through with all of these promises they made with this ideology. I talked to the principal who said that they do keep concepts of critical race theory and gender theory. Um, they don't call the kids boys and girls. They refrain from using gender terminology. They embed the values of gender identity in the classroom. 
And with critical race theory, they asked five-year-olds what could have been done differently at Thanksgiving. And then they said that they have a certain line of thinking about history that they teach kids at an age-appropriate level in every grade. When I asked more questions about what exactly they're teaching them, they told me to submit public records requests because they didn't want to answer my questions directly. When I submitted a lot of public records requests to get my questions answered, they then turned around and threatened to sue me. They ultimately decided not to sue me, but now the NEA, the National Education Association, is suing me to prevent the disclosure of that information from my public records request. And they're claiming that if this information comes out, their teachers will be vulnerable to harassment, which is ridiculous. No one wants anybody to be harassed, but we know that critical race theory is in public school and it should be disclosed so that people can participate in robust public debate about the value of this in public school. But the teachers union um, is now suing me to, to try to prevent all of that from happening. Really remarkable schools that are paid with tax dollars, teachers on the you know, taxpayers dime and they don't want to share what they're teaching your children. Pretty, pretty remarkable story. Alvin, I want to turn to you because you uprooted your family from California. You took them to Indiana and in right. hopes of finding a, a, a more a moderate uh, a school curriculum. What shocked you when you got to Indiana? Well, when I first started seeing some of the seeds being planted, it was things that we would recognize that a lot of people here wouldn't just because we kind of lived through the end of it. Uh, and so, you know, the question was, well, do we want to fight it here again? Because when California went by the time, we realized that we couldn't do anything about it. Right. And we were like 25 years too late, 20 years too late by the time we realized it because we were the first of its kind. But here in Indiana, there's still a window. And I know for people here, it's really overwhelming because this is the first time they've experienced this kind of all out attack, especially at the school level. And when it happens, it happens really quick because they have all these different things, uh, all these different programs and things in place for the last five to seven years and no one, nobody noticed them. So when they pull all these levers, it feels very sudden for a lot of parents. Um, but there's still a great win there's still a window here that parents can fight. It's just that the window closes really, really quick because once they start indoctrinating the schools at this level, yeah. uh, it goes really, really fast. It does. Now you've gotten involved, Alvin, in a group called Unify Carmel. Describe what right. that, you know, why'd you become active and what that group is doing and what other parents could learn from it? Sure. Um, the reason why, I mean, there was a point of not doing anything because we, we moved here not to do this, you know, but <laughs> I guess the question for us was, well, where's, where's my daughter going to go? Where's my kids going to go kind of right. thing, right? Once, once the Midwest goes, that's it. Uh, because nobody's getting, nobody's escaping from a boat from the U.S. to Cuba, right? Uh, and so uh, Unified Carmel um, is just a parent-led group. It's a grassroots parent-led, grandparents-led group. And it's just uh, parents and grandparents who wants to see the schools just go back to focusing on high rigor academics. Where we're from in Carmel here in Indiana, it's one of the best school systems in the country, the best one of the best in the country. And wow. so they've been they've, they've been doing they've been they got there because of the focus on high rigor academics, because a good education helps everyone, especially if you're a minority. And so the last few years, they've really been turning towards that social justice, uh, you know, that diversity, inclusion, equity type of ideology, the CRT, the gender propaganda, all that stuff. And so we just really want all that to be left at home to the parents. We're not saying it's wrong or right. We're just saying you got to leave it to parents. Mm -hmm. And it's but it's it's not right to have it in uh, for a captive audience because there's children. They can't do anything about it. They can't go anywhere. And when you have these activist teachers that bring this stuff in, you're literally taking hostage, you know, a captive audience of children. Yeah, uh, you want your I think both of you want your children to be taught 
how to think and how to learn, but not what to think. That's your job as parents. And it, it seems as though the schools are usurping that. Nicole, I want to go back to you because uh, you, it's funny, I was in Connecticut and your name came up in Connecticut. You're a household name. People have really embraced the, the bravery that you've shown in this. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, Nicole, about what message you've taken away from the teacher's resistance to want to show parents what they're being taught to their children. What, what, what did you make of that when, when you saw that? Well, I, I think that there's a logical disconnect here. Um, sometimes people are surprised to learn that as public employees, they, they are more accountable to the public than perhaps they thought because maybe they're not really used to the public asking for that accountability. Um, and I think that the more we have parents telling them that they have to tell us what, what they're doing, what they're teaching, um, we can maybe ease into a new paradigm where it's not scary when people ask what you're doing because hopefully eventually you're not doing anything wrong or controversial. Um, I also really like what Alvin said when, um, just to segue a sec for a second, he said that he doesn't want to um, really focus on, you know, whether you like critical race theory or not. And I, I think that's really the heart of the matter because public school is not the place for ideological teaching. You know, public school would become more like a church. And we already have separation of, of church and state. So I think if people focus less on what they think about critical race theory and just understand that it is a value system and a belief system that is subjective, maybe we can all agree that it just shouldn't be in public school. Maybe it can go somewhere else, uh, like the home, but it can't be in public school. Yeah, such an important point. And I've heard a lot of people say that this is the beginning of teaching a religion in, in, in schools. Now, we got about two minutes left. I want to address this last question to both of you. The media describes CRT often as a red versus blue political debate. But for both of you, this has been a very personal decision about your children. I just want to ask you, what as a parent concerns you about the CRT education and lessons? And what advice would you give other parents who share those concerns? Nicole, let's start with you. Um, well, it's ideological, it's subjective. Personally, I believe it's dehumanizing and toxic and can lead to a very destructive, slippery slope. And parents need to know exactly what their kids are learning because ultimately I think it's going to separate children from their parents and separate children from their family and their family's values. And public school is, is not meant for that. So parents need to start submitting public records requests and start asking about what exactly the lessons are and the lesson materials and use all those code words, equity, systemic racism, racism, um, they want you to believe that it's either a blue or red issue, but it's not. If you're a parent, you are in charge of what your kids are learning. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat, Republican, liberal or progressive. You're the one that raises your children with the values that you want. And that shouldn't be a partisan issue. Yeah, such an important point. Alvin, how about you? What, 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 what drove you to do this and what advice do you have for other parents? Well, a good education is good for everybody. Uh, a rising tide raises all ships. In the Asian culture, we believe in that one generation concept and that no matter where your parents come from, they could just come with a shirt on their backs, but you're only one generation away from changing the bloodline, the destiny of your bloodline, just one generation. So we teach our children to look one generation ahead of why you can be successful. Critical race theory teaches you to look three generations behind as to why you can't. And wow. that's why we 100% disagree with that. Um, and, and for parents, I would say, uh, don't give labels power. The reason why we lost California is because we pretty much died in silence because they used the same tactic, the racist, the bigot, all those different things. But those words only have power if you give it to them. And those are the words. I mean, I always say that a parent can run into a burning building and save their kids. But one word, one, one label, they'll, they'll be quiet and not protect their kids. 
And I think that's silly. It doesn't matter what they call you. This is the hill worth dying on because you only get one shot at, at raising your kids. And if you don't protect them, they're going to raise them. Yes. And they're going to raise them under this ideology. You're never going to get them back. Such, such an important point. Nicole, Alvin, thank you so much for joining us tonight and for sharing your insights. Folks, stick around. Dr. Ben Carson will be joining us next. We'll be right back after a quick commercial break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. We wanted to close out tonight's program with a very special guest. For decades, he treated uh, pediatric patients as a renowned neurosurgeon. He then moved into politics, ran for president in 2016, then became a cabinet secretary under President Donald Trump. And now, today, he is the founder of the American Cornerstone Institute, a new nonprofit. Joining us right now is Dr. Ben Carson. Ben, great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you, John. Always good to be with you. Uh, we've been talking this entire hour about critical race theory and what's been happening from the federal level all the way down to the school board. I've seen you talk about this and you have a very specific take that this is a philosophy and education curriculum that robs young generations of their future. Could you describe a little bit what you mean by that? Well, you know, we are taking children at the time when they're most impressionable and, and do recognize that people have recognized for many, many uh, centuries that children are very pliable and can be uh, either taught the right things or the wrong things, but it sticks with them for life. You know, it was Vladimir Lenin who said, give me four years to teach your children and the seeds that I've sown will never be uprooted. Uh, so they know what they're doing at an impressionable time when people are developing their self-image. We don't want that image to be one of if you're uh, a black kid or minority, that you're a victim, that somebody else is in control of your destiny. You know, as a youngster, you know, my mother made me read books because I was a terrible student before that. And I started reading about philosophers and explorers and entrepreneurs and surgeons. And I, I began to realize that the person who really had the most to do with what happened to me was me. It wasn't somebody else. It wasn't some environment. And uh, over the course of that next year and a half, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class. I had a vision, and nobody was really going to stop me at that point. And I think we're robbing children of that kind of vision, the can-do attitude that established America as a great nation. And then if, if you're a young white kid, you know, you're being told that you're evil, that your parents are evil, your grandparents, all your ancestors have been oppressors and created all the problems that exist in our society today. Again, this is at a time when you're trying to develop your self-image. This is child abuse, quite frankly. And if that's not enough, you may not be a girl or a boy. So I, mean, I just think that what we're doing to these children is, is abominable. I, I think, you know, when, when history is written, people look back on this period, they'll say, what in the world were those people 
But the good thing is right now, there are a number of people who are speaking out against this. Uh, next week, um, the Fight for Freedom and 1776 Action are sponsoring uh, a town hall in which there will be hundreds of people, uh, speakers. I will be there uh, as well uh, talking about this. And I'm so proud of the parents who have stood up uh, for what is right here because what those who want to fundamentally change our country anticipate is that people will just stay in the corner and put their head down and nobody calls them a name. <laughs> that doesn't work. You cannot be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. Uh, such a great point, sir. You know, the, if this is the agenda of the left, certainly the far left in education, Republicans are going to need to have a philosophy to counter it with. And so before uh, the Trump administration left, it began to develop the 1776 curriculum. You have always talked about empowerment and that the next generation should always have the opportunity to be better than the last generation, handing up success through generation. It's the opposite, literally the antithesis of uh, critical race theory. Can you tell us whether conservatives you think have the right message to not only defeat the CRT, but to create a, a, a pathway of empowerment for our, our young children? Well, you know, the, the right things have always been there. There have been people who've come along and tried to hijack the system. That's the problem. Yeah. And, uh, but I do think that not necessarily conservatives, but logical people need to be a little more forceful uh, in presenting the truth. You know, for instance, uh, the 1619 uh, project right. is trying to center everything around slavery and make people think that there's something unique about America uh, and something uniquely evil because we had slavery. Now, if you really want the true history, you have to recognize that slavery has been a part of society since there have been recorded history and that there are actually more slaves right now in America than there were in 1863 sexual slaves, uh, that trafficking is right. horrendous, what's going on and what it's doing to people's lives. And the only thing that's really unique about America is that we were willing to fight a civil war and lose a substantial portion of our population to stop it. There were people who said it's abominable. We simply cannot do that. And, you know, some people say, well, the civil war wasn't really fought about that. Uh, it was to prevent secession. Why do you think they want to succeed? <laughs> yeah. You know, people have to be realistic about this. And, you know, there's so much good that we can teach our children. Um, you know, that's one of the things that we're doing with American Cornerstone. We have our little Patriots program, right. a new book coming out very shortly. And it's teaching the real history of America, warts and all. We don't want to hide the warts, um, but we want to teach the true history. And, and people will be very proud be Americans. And you cannot have a, a successful nation when the people are ashamed of their country. Yeah, that's exactly so true. And, and part of the goal of this is to make people feel ashamed about America. You can see it in the writings and the advocates. I want to ask you, uh, I've talked to a lot of parents over the last month. We've had some on the show today. And one of the things they say is that they're seeing a new form of racism crop up in America. Uh, and some of it is your skin determines your outcome. You're either an oppressor or the oppressed. Another part of it is we see like in the case in Atlanta recently where a young black student was told she had to go to the black class. She couldn't go to the white class. There is this segregation, identity segregation of classrooms. 
How uh, should we go about fighting that? What are the, the best efforts at stopping those sort of experiments? Well, for one thing, I, I think we ought to talk about the progress that's been made. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, uh, it was a big deal when a black person came on television in a non-servile role. role. Everybody came to see it. It was cool. And is that the case anymore? Of course not. Now we have black admirals and generals and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and presidents of Ivy League universities. The president of the United States has been black, the vice That's president right. now. You know, I mean, to say that we're not making progress is absolutely ostrich-like, sticking your head in the hole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we need to be upfront about that. We need yeah. to talk about it. Don't let somebody else carry the narrative. Let's talk about what's actually happening. And, uh, you know, people can see that we've made enormous progress. We ought to be very proud of that. Doesn't mean we need to stop at that point. Right. We need to continue. But we also need to emphasize the fact uh, that Dr. Martin Luther King was absolutely right. We want a society in which we judge people not on the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Do you know anybody who can control the color of their skin? No. But everybody can control the content of their character, and that's what we should be judging people on. And also recognize that people have these big frontal lobes so that they can analyze. Right. You know, and animals don't have big frontal lobes. They can't analyze anything. They can just react. They have big midbrains, which is for reacting. Right. Why shouldn't we act like animals? We can do so much better than that. No, such a great point. Dr. Carson, I want to thank you so much for all you've done and also for sharing the wisdom today. You're right. We have so much to look forward to in progress. We got to stop looking backwards. Forward seems to be the way to go. Absolutely. All right, John. So good to be with you. Thank you. You too, sir. Thank you so much. All right, folks, that wraps up our show today. I hope you enjoyed the dialogue we've had. We heard from parents who said, listen, I don't want skin color to be determinant taught to my child about what their future is going to be. We heard from members of Congress that we're going to keep this out of the military and out of federal programming and, uh, and spending. We heard from everyday folks about what is going on in the school boards, activating parents, bringing people to uh, run for election who had never thought of electing, uh, running for election before in their lives. This CRT, this critical race theory is a singular big event in America. It is taking hold and it is likely to create a, a reaction that will long shape American education. We hope you've enjoyed tonight. We certainly have. We thank all of our guests and we ask that God bless you and this great country, the United States of America. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, I wraps it up for Labor Day. I hope you've had a blessed weekend, a great holiday. You grilled a few of those Kansas City steaks, and you're on your way to uh, a wonderful, wonderful start of the fall. Yes, it gets busy. Uh, a lot of coming up, 9-11, the California recall. 
the uh, Virginia election, just a few of the many things, not to mention the ongoing crisis in Afghanistan. May God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.